Now, if you're new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we're starting a new series that I'm really excited about called Your Questions, Biblical Answers. And this series is based upon the questions that our church family asked back in January. So in January, January, it's a tough word for me to say this morning, apparently. In January, a few months ago, we gave everybody an opportunity to ask any question they have about faith, God, or the Bible, and we got 184 questions turned in. So a lot of questions came back in, and what we did was we put those questions into categories because a lot of them were similar, and we came up with the top five category of questions that we were asking as a church family, and so we built this series based upon those questions. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. And what we're going to do after that, next month, we've got a parenting series based upon some questions that you asked about parenting. And then we've got some other series that are going to come later this year and even into next year, again, based upon the questions that we were asking as a church family. So that's how this uh, series is going to go. That's how we're going to do our best to answer some of the questions that you've asked. Now to the, the questions that you asked for this series. So let me start with next week. Next week, I'm going to try to answer the question... Can I have faith and doubt, or do I have to have one or the other? And many of you are asking questions about doubt, saying something along the lines of, like, I, like I want to believe, but I've got these doubts, and what do I do with this doubt? And sometimes we think, you know what, if I have doubt, does that mean I can't have faith? And if I have faith, does that mean I can't have doubt? And so we're going to try to answer that question from a biblical perspective. Then the week after that, we're going to answer the question, what happens after we die? So a number of you asked that question. You're asking stuff like, hey, do we all go to heaven? Do some of us go to heaven, some of us go to hell? What are those places like? Is, is heaven and hell just kind of a mental state that we create here on this earth? And so we're going to try to answer that question. The week after that, we're going to try to answer the question about growing our faith. A number of you said, like, I have faith in, in Christ. I want to know how to grow it. I want to know how to communicate with God more effectively. I want to know how to read my Bible more effectively. So we're going to try to answer that one in that week. And then the last question that we're going to try to answer in this series is related to sharing your faith. So many of you are asking the question of, hey, I've got this faith, but how do I share it with other people? Like there are people that I work with, people that maybe I live with that don't have the faith that I have, and I would love to help them have that faith, or I'd love to have an intelligent conversation with them and be able to discuss scripture, be able to talk to them and really help them wrestle with the issue of faith, but I don't know how to do that. So we're going to try to equip you in that message as well. Now for today... I'm going to try to answer the biggest question that we had as a church family. And that question is this, something similar to this. There are a lot of different questions that came under this category, but basically the question was this. If God is so loving, then why does he allow bad things to happen? Some of you ask, why does he let bad things happen to innocent people? Some of you ask, why does he let bad things happen to good people? Some ask, why does he just allow bad things to happen, period? But that's a pretty common question that most of us have asked. And if you haven't asked it, there's a good chance you will ask it when you face a bad thing, that next bad thing that comes along. Maybe there's an opportunity you'll say like, God, I just don't get it. And if you're so loving, why did you let that happen? Now, let me tell you some really exciting news before I start answering this question. The exciting news is this. You are not going to like any of my answers this morning. None of them. You may agree with them. 
You may understand them from a biblical perspective, but you are not going to like these answers. And aren't you super glad that you came to church today? Like, especially if you're new, like maybe you came last week for the first time to Epic and you thought, well, I'll go back to that church and check that out. And you're here going, why did I get out of bed today? So here's what we're going to have to wrestle with. And I think we have to wrestle with it on a regular basis. What do we do when we get an answer we don't like or we don't understand? What do we do? Do we ignore that answer and we keep looking for an answer we will like, an answer we will understand? Or do we have to try to figure out how to trust God in the midst of a moment where we don't like the answer that he's given and we we don't even understand the answer that's been given? So that's what we're going to get to later in the service. But um, before that, let me start answering the question that we have. And here's the first answer that I have for the question that that you gave, and it's an answer you're not going to like. So the first answer is wrapped up in two words, and those words are free will. Okay, so free will. Let me explain what free will means and then our relationship with it. So at the beginning of creation, God had a decision to make. Was he going to give his creation the ability to choose, to love him, obey him, follow him, do what is right? Or was he going to force his creation, to love him, obey him, and do what was right. And there were pros and cons with each side, each decision that he could make. There were pros with it. There were cons with it. And God had a big decision. What was he going to do? Force us to follow him or give us the ability to choose? And if we chose, like, we may not follow him. But if we were forced to do that, was that the right thing to do in that situation? So God had this big decision to make. Now, 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. It doesn't say that God is loving, even though he is. And it doesn't say that God has love, even though he does. It says that God is love. So God is the embodiment of the true definition of what love means. That's his essence. God is love. I think because of that reality, God only had one choice when it came to free will. He only had one choice. He had to give it to us. It was the only loving option he had to force us to be pre-programmed robots that always do what God wanted us to do is not a loving thing to do, and God can't go against his nature. So he had to give us the ability to choose right or wrong, the ability to choose to love him or not. Now, when we got our free will, we were so excited. Like, we love our free will. There are moments we love it, and then there are moments we hate it. And with my free will, there are moments that I love it, and there are moments that I hate it. So let me describe the moments that I love it. I love my free will when I choose to do right with it. If I'm facing a difficulty or there's a temptation and I battle through that difficulty, I battle through that temptation, I do something that I know God wants me to do in those moments, I'm I'm grateful for the ability to choose. And, And I know those choices make me stronger in my faith and my relationship with God, and I love those moments. But let me tell you some other moments that I love my free will when I choose to do wrong. I know this may come as a major surprise to you being that I'm a pastor, but there are moments that I choose to do wrong. 
and I want to. And in those moments, I'm like a little kindergartner looking at God, and I shake my little finger in his face, and I say, you're not the boss of me. Leave me alone. Like, you gave me this gift of free will, so get out of my way so I can use it. Now, let me tell you the moments that I hate my free will. It's when I see the real consequences that come from those types of decisions. When I use my free will to do wrong, and I hurt my relationship with God, I say something stupid to my wife, I snap at my kids, I give in to some temptation that's trying to pull me away from God, I'm grieved in those moments. And when I come face to face with the reality of consequences of my decisions, or the consequences of somebody else's decision, because we have this thing called free will, I am grieved by it. And in those moments, I say to God, God, I hate my free will, please take it back. And then a few days later, a few hours later, sometimes a few minutes later, I take it back from God. Why? Because I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. So I have this love-hate relationship with this thing called free will. I think we all do. We all have that same relationship. And there's moments we love our free will. And then there's moments we hate our free will when we bump into a real consequence that happened because of our decision or another decision that somebody else has made. But again, it was the only loving option that God had was to give us the gift of free will, the ability to choose to love him or not. Now, we were not the only ones to be given this gift. Bible teaches that the angels were also given the gift of free will. They were given the ability to choose to follow God or not. They are not pre-programmed robots. They have the ability to choose to love God or not. Now, the Bible says that there are millions of angels. So how many angels are there exactly? I'm not really sure. There are millions of angels. And the Bible gives us three names for the angels. So there's only three angels that we are aware of specifically. Their name, they're the archangels. So we've got Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Okay, now Lucifer was created as the angel of light. All right, Lucifer did not like his power, his position. He didn't like it. He wanted more. Even though he was in the top three, he wasn't satisfied. So he convinced a third of the angels of heaven to rebel against God, to use their free will to fight against God. And Lucifer said, I'm going to set my throne above God's throne. I want more power than he has. And so he set out to fight against God. And, and he created in himself an evil that exists in our world. Now, those angels are called fallen angels. Fallen angels are called demons. Lucifer got a name change from Lucifer, the angel of light, to Satan, which means adversary. Now, I don't know where you are in your perspective of angels and uh, demons and Satan, whether you believe in them or not. Um, I believe in them for multiple reasons. Number one, because the Bible teaches their reality. The Bible teaches that they're real beings. And as you read through scripture, you see the evidence of that all throughout scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, another reason I believe in them is because Jesus believed in them. Listen to what Jesus said in uh, John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus said this about Satan. He called Satan a murderer, a hater of truth, and the father of lies. Now, how does, how does Jesus know that about Satan? Jesus created Lucifer. 
He created him. This was his creation, and he saw what Lucifer did. And so he was able to describe Lucifer, Satan, exactly the way that he is. He's a murderer. He hates humanity. He's the father of, of all lies, of any lie, and all lies. And so Jesus believed in Satan and demons. Another reason I believe in Satan and demons is because we see the, the evidence of their work around our world. You don't have to look very far to see the evidence of their work. You don't have to look very far to see evil in our world. Watch the evening news for five minutes and you'll see evil. You see greed, jealousy, murder, rape, terrorism, and that's the evidence of Satan's work in our world. Listen to what Jesus said about Satan's work. In John 10, 10, he said this. He said, Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. It's his purpose in life, is to steal, kill, and destroy. If you are a Christ follower, you have an enemy, a real enemy who hates you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to destroy your life, and ultimately, he wants to kill you. Isn't that super exciting? Now, if you're not a Christ follower, you may think, wow, here's one benefit of not being a Christ follower. At least Satan will leave me alone. At least I'm not you know, his target. That's not true. The reality for you is, is that Satan hates your guts. Why? Because God loves you. He loves you enough to send Jesus to die for you. And you are the center of God's work in the world. He's passionately in love with you and he wants you to put your faith and trust in in Jesus so you can spend eternity with God in a real place called heaven. And because of that, Satan hates you. He'll do anything and everything he can to keep you from putting your faith in Jesus. He would rather you spend eternity in hell than eternity in heaven with God. Now, I know that may sound real dramatic, but I believe that it's true. I believe that it's true. I believe there's a real evil in our world. And it's orchestrated by Satan and his demons. And there are real people who are evil, who join in that work and play out that work, kind of like puppets. And they just follow what, what the father of lies is asking them to do. So there's a real evil in our world. Now, one of the questions that I ask when I watch that and I watch evil and, and I watch Satan doing his work is, why didn't God take his power away from him the moment he rebelled? Like, why didn't God do that? Wouldn't it be so much easier? I mean, we wouldn't have all the pain and sorrow and suffering in our world if God just took that power away from him. And I'm not exactly sure why God didn't do that. Somehow it's connected to this thing called free will. When God gave it to us, it was the ability to choose to do right or wrong. And God wasn't going to pull that power away from Satan in that moment. Do I like that answer? No, I don't like that answer. What do I want God to do with Satan and his demons and the power they have and evil people? Take their power away from them. That's what I want. But you know what I don't want? I don't necessarily want God to take away my power and my ability to choose to do right or wrong. And we get right back into my love-hate relationship, our love-hate relationship with this thing called free will. Anybody having fun yet? Okay, hang in there because it gets better, okay? So another reason why I think that there is pain and suffering and sorrow in this world is because there are real beings called angels. There are real beings 
called Satan and demons, and they have a real work in our world. Now, another reason I believe God lets bad things to happen is because it drives us to him. Bad things have the ability to drive us to God like nothing else can. Now, how many of you remember back in 2010, there was a group of miners down in Chile who got stuck in a mine. Anybody remember that? Okay, so it was turned into a movie called The 33. An amazing movie. These guys are 200 stories below ground level, and they are stuck. There's this huge rock that's, that's two times the size of the Empire State Building that crashed in on them, and they are stuck under there. No way to get out. 69 days they were there. They had, they had enough food and water for three days. Like nobody thought they were going to get out, including some of them. So take a look at the movie trailer for that movie called 33, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. Take a look at this. It's an amazing movie, amazing movie about building faith in the midst of difficulty. And um, if you've not seen that movie, uh, you're going to have to hurry to Redbox after, because there's already been a first service, and they probably checked them all out, okay? (laughs) You got to go fast. Um, So the amazing thing happened in this movie. So these guys are stuck 200 stories below ground level, and they're at a spot where they think, like, I don't know that we're going to make it. And they and their families above start doing things that only happens in moments of difficulty. They started crying out to God together, begging God, like, we need help. We have nowhere else to turn. They start confessing sin to each other. They start depending on each other in ways that they've never depended on each other before. And then something very interesting happened. Uh, The drill team above, they were able to get um, uh, a little hole down into that spot where they were. And they were able to get food and water down there and connection with the outside world. So they were able to communicate with their families. And in the midst of that, they start talking with their families and finding out the world is watching And they're kind of becoming famous. And so these guys start thinking, we're going to get rich out of this. And and then something interesting happened after that. They stopped crying out to God for help. They stopped confessing sin to each other. They stopped depending on each other the way that they had in that moment of desperation. And there's something about difficulty. There's something about pain. There's something about bad things that happen that have the ability to push us towards God. There's something about prosperity. There's something about good times that have the ability to pull us away from God. Almost 14 years ago, my dad lost an 11-year battle with leukemia. And uh, he had battled that for, again, 11 years and ups and downs. And that journey was given two years. He said, you'll live two years most likely. And he lived 11. And we were grateful for that. But one of the things that my dad never prayed for in the midst of his battle with leukemia was that God would remove it from him. And I never understood that. Like, I was begging God to take it away. My mom was, my siblings, my family, my friends. We were all praying that God would remove this. But my dad never prayed that. He said this, he said, uh, leukemia drove him to God in a way that he'd never been driven before. He said through leukemia, he was able to discover a connection with God that he didn't want to give up. And so he said, life with leukemia and God was better 
than life without leukemia. Now, do I like that answer? No, I don't. I know it's true. I've seen it in my own life, but I don't like that answer. I don't like that answer. I hate it when bad things happen to me. I hate it when things like that happen to people that I love, but I know that God can use it to grow us and other people closer to him. Now, another reason that I think God allows bad things to happen is because it has the ability to deepen our faith and strengthen our character. Now, listen to James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. It says this. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, just curious, anybody have trouble ever in your life? Okay, anybody have trouble right now in your life? Okay, anybody sitting next to trouble? Okay, great. So we all have trouble. And then it says, when you have trouble, okay, it says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, I don't know about you, but that's one verse that I usually don't apply. Like, I don't get that. I don't think that's, you know, fun when trouble comes into my world. It's not joyful. I'm not super excited. Woo! Another trouble moment. Bring it on. That's not my perspective. But what the author says here is consider it an opportunity for joy. Where is joy found? Joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness is often based upon our circumstances found on the surface. Joy is discovered in the minds. Joy is discovered when we dig deep. Joy is discovered when we get dirty and we've got to dig into the mess of life. And when we discover a gold nugget deep down in the dark, that's something that can never be taken from us and it has incredible value. And so God says, when trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity to discover joy, a truth nugget that you can take with you forever. Verse three says, for you know that when your faith is tested, another reason that God allows bad things to happen to us because it tests our faith and we need our faith tested. You know, it's one thing to say, I have faith in God and everything's going great and we never go through anything bad. And then the first time something bad happens and our faith crumbles, do we really have faith? No, we really don't have faith in that moment. So God says, I'm going to test your faith every once in a while because I want you to grow. I want you to build endurance. And so that verse continues and it says, uh, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing, or you will be strong in character and ready for anything. So sometimes God allows difficult things to happen because it has the ability to grow our faith. If you're a Christ follower, God wants nothing more than that for you. He wants you to be a person of deep faith and strong character. And what does that mean? You're gonna go through some difficulty every once in a while. And sometimes we think, you know, if I'm a Christ follower, then that means like everything's gonna go great for me. I'm always gonna get the job. I'm always gonna get the promotion. I'm always gonna get the girl. I'm always gonna get the guy. I mean, everything's gonna be great. And then sometimes when difficulty comes, we go like, what happened? I thought God was supposed to just make everything perfect for me. But listen to what Jesus said in uh, John 16, 33. He said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Aren't you excited? 
that Jesus said, you, you know, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. This world's a difficult place. But take heart or be encouraged because I have overcome the world. There's not a pain or a sorrow or a difficult thing that you and I can ever go through that God doesn't already know that it's there and, and he doesn't already know how he's going to get us through it. And God can use those difficult moments to grow our faith so that we can become the people that he wants us to be, people of deep faith and strong character. Listen to how God did that in one man's life in the Old Testament. His name was Joseph. Joseph had several other brothers, and Joseph's dad was Jacob. Jacob had several wives, and that causes a little tension, you can imagine, in the family dynamics. So there was some dysfunction in their family. Joseph was the favorite son. And out of that, his dad gave him a coat of many colors. So if you've heard of Joseph in the coat of many colors, that's the guy we're talking about. So Joseph's brothers hated him. And what they did was one day they took his coat, they ripped it up, they put animal blood on it, and then they, they said, we're going to kill him and tell dad that he was killed by a wild animal. And then they thought, well, maybe we won't kill him. Maybe we just throw him in a pit and let him die there. And then they thought, no, let's just make some money off him. So they sold him into slavery, told his dad that he died by a wild animal. But God was with Joseph in the midst of that. So he goes into slavery. He goes to Egypt. He serves as a slave in Potiphar's house. And he gets accused of something that he didn't do. So this really bad thing happens for Joseph. He's like, I didn't do anything wrong. And he gets accused and he goes to the dungeons of Egypt. And God took him out of the dungeons of Egypt and put him in number two spot in all of Egypt. He was number two in command behind the Pharaoh. God did that. God orchestrated that. And then his brothers, they came from where they were living. They came to Egypt during a time of famine, and they had to come get food from guess who? Joseph. Listen to what Joseph said to them in a the moment. They thought, he's going to kill us. This is God getting revenge on us for what we did. Joseph said, in Genesis 50, verse 19, he said, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, or what you intended was for evil, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So God took that evil thing that Joseph's brothers intended and he turned it into a good thing for Joseph and for them and the thousands of other people around them. So think about this reality. God is the only one who can bring a good thing out of a bad thing. God's the only one who can do that. So listen to Romans 8, 28. It says, God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, that verse doesn't mean that everything in life is good. It doesn't mean that. My dad's death, that wasn't good. My brother-in-law in his early 50s up in North Carolina that just died in January, that wasn't good. Most of the stuff we see in the evening news that brings sorrow to our hearts, that's not good. But what that verse says is God can cause everything everything. That difficulty that you're facing right now, that financial issue, that health issue, that relationship issue, God can cause everything to work together for good for those who love him. God can do that. Only God can do that. Now, here's my least favorite answer of the morning. There are more answers that we're going to look at, and there are more answers that, that we're not going to look at because we're just scratching the surface on this subject. But my least favorite answer is this. 
I don't know. I don't know. Just being honest with you. I don't know. Why does God allow some bad things to happen? I'm not sure. Why do innocent children get abused and die from that abuse? I don't know. Why do innocent kids get diseases and die very young? I don't know. Why are terrorists allowed to do horrible things and blow themselves up and other people up in our world? I don't know. Last week, we had a a church member come to me and ask for prayer because they are related to family members in Brussels who died from the terrorist attack. And, uh, man, that breaks my heart. I'm like, why? Why does God let that kind of stuff happen? I don't know. And I hate not knowing. There are moments I just hate that. And so when I get into a spot like that, I have to ask myself another question, and it's this. What am I going to do when I don't like the answer or I don't understand the answer? What am I going to do? Am I going to let that bad thing push me towards God? Or am I going to let that bad thing push me away from God? I think that's a question we all have to answer when our hearts are grieved by the evil that's in our world and when bad things happen. Now, on one occasion in Jesus' life, he had many followers who decided to walk away from him. So early in his ministry, everybody's excited. Like, Jesus is doing all these cool things. He's healing people. This is amazing. I mean, they thought, this is great. He's going to overthrow Rome. We're awesome. We're, like, hooking ourselves to Jesus because he's up and to the right, and we like that. And then Jesus started giving some answers they didn't like, and they were confused by. And in the book of John, many of them walked away. They said, you're not saying things we want you to say. We don't like your answers, Jesus. We don't like your strategy. I don't think it's going to work. And so they walked away from Jesus. So in uh, John chapter 6, verse 67, Jesus turned to his closest disciples, which were his 12 disciples. He turned to them and he asked this question, are you also going to leave? Are you going to leave me? You don't understand the, the, the answers that I'm given. You don't exactly understand what I'm doing in the world. So are you going to leave me? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? Like, you have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, kind of in that, that answer is, we don't fully understand what you're doing. You know, like there are moments we want to follow everybody else because we don't get it. But where else are we going to go? You are the one that has the answers. And that's how I feel many times when I get to a spot where I don't understand the answers. I don't like the answers. I say, God, where else am I going to go? Who else has the answers? Who else can help me navigate the complexities of life? Who else can help comfort me? Who else can help build my faith in these moments? No one else. So where else would I go? God is the only one who can guide us through all of this. He's our only hope for all the bad things that happen around us. So who else would we turn to? Now, for those of you who are kind of in that spot sometimes where you're wrestling with it and you're wanting to know, like, I want to take a step towards God, but I just don't know how to do that. I've got some final encouragement for all of us from a guy named Paul in the New Testament part of the Bible, and Paul has this amazing life. Uh, At first, Paul's name was Saul, 
And Saul hated Jesus, and he hated his followers, and he wanted to do anything he could to kill them. Like, they were messing with the religious system that he had, and he was a very religious guy. So Paul made it his mission in life to kill anybody who followed Jesus. And then one day, he had this life-changing encounter with Jesus. And his life was totally turned around. And as much as he hated Jesus was as much as he loved Jesus. And he was used by God to influence the world. So if you're a Christ follower today, you were influenced by Paul. The work that Paul had, his name was changed from Saul to Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament part of the Bible. And you would think, you know, being Paul, I mean, he's like really close to Jesus and all, you would think that he would have this perfect life. You would think that God would say, hey, we're just going to protect you so you have a lot of time to write and, you know, write these books that I I want you to write so people thousands of years later can read this. You would think that God would protect him. But listen to some of the things that happened in Paul's life after he became a Christ follower. He was beaten. He was stoned and left for dead. Okay, so that doesn't mean his friends thought he smoked too much and just left him there. That that, that means that, that there's a group of people that hated him so much they picked up rocks to kill him. Like, get that, okay? So, like, you're at work someday. You make a suggestion. Everybody goes, that's stupid. You know what? You should die. And everybody goes out and picks up a rock and says, we're killing you. And they throw rocks at you until you're dead, like a horrible way to die. That happened to Paul. So Paul's laying on the ground, blood pouring all over his body, and they think he's dead, so they leave. But he wasn't dead. And God healed him in that moment and brought him back to his ministry and the work that he was going to do because there were some other bad things that were going to happen to Paul. He got whipped five times. Okay, so we saw that with Jesus in the last series where Jesus was whipped by the Romans. Now, Paul was whipped. I don't think his whipping was as harsh as Jesus was, but he was whipped five times, which means 39 lashes. So five times he suffered through that. He was thrown in prison on multiple occasions, attacked by angry mobs. He was arrested and held unjustly for two years and ultimately killed for his faith. So that's Paul, guy that God used to radically change the world. Listen to what Paul said about those difficult moments and how he navigated them and how we can. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, starting in verse 8, we are pressed on every side by troubles. After hearing that, like, do you think? Like every time Paul turns around, like somebody wants to hurt him. And he says, every time I turn around, somebody's trying to hurt me. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed. What does that mean? We're confused. I don't get it. There are moments I'm scratching my head going like, is it supposed to be this hard? Like, wow, that's a really painful thing. Like the stoning thing, God, was that a part of your plan? Like, I don't get it. Like that hurt. I don't want that to happen again. So he says, we're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. It's another reason why I think God allows bad things to happen because in difficult moments, people can see Jesus more clearly than moments of prosperity. It happens. It really can happen for us. Verse 11. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will also be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. 
but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. It's as if he's saying, like, I had no other option. I believed in God and what he did, so I had to tell people. I had to speak about this. And we know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. So why does some bad things happen? Because we benefit from it. When it happens in somebody else's world, we benefit from it. And sometimes other people benefit from the difficult things that happen in us because we are driven towards God in ways that we would never be driven before. That's why some things that are bad happen for the benefit of other people. Verse 16, so Paul says, that is why we never give up. We never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we can see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So Paul's final encouragement to all of us, number one, is never give up. When you get in that moment of difficulty and you're wanting to, like, I don't know, did I walk away from God because of that bad thing? Paul would say, no, don't do that. Never give up. Never give up. Jesus said life's going to be tough sometimes. And when it is, allow that to drive you to God, not away from him. Then he says, like, hey, don't look at your problems. Don't focus on them. Like, don't just look at that financial issue. Don't look at that health issue. Like, don't focus on that only. Look beyond it to stuff that lasts forever. We've got to look beyond. We've got to fix our gaze on things that have eternal value and will never be taken away from us. So where's your perspective? Is it on the stuff here and now? Is it on that problem? Or is it beyond? Have you locked your eyes on stuff that will last forever? And then the last encouragement that Paul has for us is renew your mind every day. This is especially important when we're in a difficult season. Something bad's happening and we're not sure how to make sense of it. It's especially important in those moments that every morning we wake up, we renew our minds every day. And maybe you wake up every day and you say, God, I know that you are love. I know that you have an incredible plan for me. And God, I trust you in this plan. I know that only you can bring a good thing out of a bad thing and you can develop my faith in the midst of this and other people can benefit as I walk through this towards you, not away from you. In some moments... Some days, you got to remind yourself of that a thousand times a day. Renew our minds every day to God's truth. But we have a choice to make. And that choice is with free will. When something bad happens, will we take a step towards God? Or will we take a step away from God? God gives us the power, the freedom to choose. What will you decide when you face that next difficult thing? Now I'm going to pray, and our worship team's going to come out and guide us through a final song. And what I encourage you to do through this song is answer that question. Answer the question, what are you going to do when difficulty comes? What are you going to do when you get an answer that you don't like? Are you going to figure out how to keep moving towards God and wrestling forward with that? Or will you use your free will to walk away from God because life isn't panning out the way that you expected? So let's pray together then answer that question. God, what a very 
difficult question that, that most of us have asked or will ask in our lives. Why do you allow bad things to happen? And, and God, even though we understand that, that you can do some good things out of that, even though that we understand you can grow our faith and you can help other people take a step towards you, even, even though we understand all these things, Lord, we don't like these answers. And sometimes we hate free will. We have this love-hate relationship with us. But God, we understand that, that it was the only loving option that you had. And so you've given us the power to choose. And you want us to choose right. You want us to choose to love you. You want us to choose to follow you and obey you. And so, Lord, I pray for us today that we would make that choice. We would use our free will to make that choice. Lord, I pray for all of us as well in the midst of trying to figure out how a bad thing can, can work out for good, that we would just trust you in the midst of that and we would choose to take a step in your direction. No matter what happens, uh, financial issues, health issues, relational issues, but people right now are battling some very difficult things. And God, my prayer is that they will take a big step towards you even when we don't like the answers and we don't understand the answers that you're given, but we'll trust you in the midst of that and grow our faith because of it. So God, we ask that you would give us the strength that we need as we make choices to step closer to you. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this. Amen. Well, as you can see, our small group environments are starting up again. And if you've never been a part of any of our small groups, we would love for you to jump into Starting Point. Starting Point is a 10-week conversational environment where people can explore the story of God and begin to experience community. Now, if you've been through Starting Point already and you're kind of in transition, you're waiting to get part of a community group, well, then we encourage you to go into Next Step. And that's a great way to continue to grow in your relationship with God and with others. So on April the 10th, we're going to have an informational meeting um, about both of those groups, and we're going to get you signed up at that point. So if you're interested in that, you can see John after service over the Connection Center. John's back there, or you can go online and sign up. Just let us know that you're going to be part of the informational meeting. Well, good morning to everybody. My name is Chris, and I've got just a couple of announcements for you before Trent comes out and give us his message today. Uh, I would like to say that if you're new with us, welcome. We're glad that you're uh, here at Epic with us, and I want to invite you to stop by our Connection Center on the way out. Somebody will be at the table, will be able to meet you personally, and be uh, also able to answer any questions that you may have about our church. Well, a quick update on uh, Pat Farrell. Those of you that know Pat, he's one of our epic family members. Pat has been on a waiting list to get a heart transplant. So God has answered the first of many prayers earlier this past week. Pat got a new heart. Uh, he is, yeah, awesome. That is awesome. Great news, great news. Get like goosebumps thinking about it. So pass off the ventilator, but as we all know, this is a, a, a huge uh, transition. You're taking a heart and you're putting a new heart in his body. So he's got a long road to recovery, but he even posted a short video on Facebook. It's Pat. He's in good spirits. So please continue to pray for Pat for healing and for his family as they go through this. Uh, we, we just hope to see him uh, fully recovered and back in service with us shortly. So remember to be thinking about him and his family. So this past Sunday was Easter Sunday, and we had over 900 adults and kids between the two services here at Epic. That is, 
God is doing great things, and that's just, uh, that's just obvious proof of that. And I want to go over some numbers with you real quick. Seven people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the first time. Seven people that are going to spend eternity in heaven because of that decision they made. 125 people rededicated their lives to Christ. They said, you know what? Maybe I've been distracted. Maybe my priorities have been a little messed up. Maybe I've deviated a little bit, but now I'm going to refocus. I'm going to put God in my life as my Savior, as number one, and 125 people made that choice to do that. So that's great. And then 12 people said, you know what? I'm going to make the public display of baptism. I'm going to wash away the old, come up with the new. They went over to Flagler Beach later that day. As you can see, the picture's coming up. They, as I call it, they got dunked and they came up. You know, I remember doing that. I had a snorkel. I was under the water for a while when I went a couple of years ago, but I had to stay for a little bit and wash a lot away. But anyway, it was a good time out there. The weather held out, so we're happy about that. Great, great pictures. Uh, so next week, we have our epic day at the park. This is a time where we get together as an epic family, and we're in a different atmosphere together. Uh, we grab some food, some drinks, some lawn chairs. We go to Wadsworth Park. We hang out. We play games. We pretend we're a lot younger than we actually are, and we all limp for a week afterwards. But there's going to be bounce houses for the kids. We'll play who knows what kind of crazy games. Any of the, everybody will have Ultimate Frisbee or Guatemalan Dodgeball or whatever other craziness somebody comes up with. So it's a great time. Make sure you mark your calendars next week. Uh, April the 10th, 5.30, Wadsworth Park. That means you get on Stairway 100 and you head towards the beach, right? And you get to that really big bridge, don't go over it. Bang a hard left, you'll be at the park. We'll be in the back by the fields over there, by the soccer field. So make sure you join us out there for a good time. Now, if you've been coming to Epic for a while and you call Epic your home church and you've taken that leap of faith in your finances and said, you know what, I'm going to set aside a portion to help support what Epic does, we thank you for that. If you'd like to continue to support us or you've recently made that decision to do that, remember there are two ways you can do that. You can visit our website, which is theepicchurch.com. You can give securely online or you can utilize the giving boxes that are set up on the tables behind all of the seating sections. So lastly, I want to talk about 3G Saturday. So my earlier announcements in first service, we needed about 80 volunteers to serve at nine different projects throughout the county. And uh, I know that number has gone down quite a bit. There's some of the projects have closed. So do me a favor, look on your seats right now. You're going to see uh, a list of all the projects and what they are. Um, and then after service, if you want to get signed up, you can go ahead and go to one of the tables, make sure the project doesn't close, get yourself signed up. If you've already signed up online and you're locked into a project and you have to do a waiver, we're going to have somebody at the back table on this side of the uh, room and they'll be having the waivers that you can sign up over there. Now, two things they asked me to, to just talk about real quick. The Windsor. This is an assisted living facility. This is a place where maybe people have visitors once a month, once a year sometimes. If you have kids, this is open for first grade and up. If you have kids and your kids are willing to maybe color or sing some songs or play checkers or do anything like that, this will make some of these people's year, okay? A couple hours of our time will make and make an impact on somebody that it'll just be a lifetime memory for them. So think about signing up for the Windsor. We have a lot of openings there. And then the second thing is the Family Life Center. So take a look at that and what that project entails. And if you're interested in that, please go ahead and get signed up in the back today. And if you're not sure if you should get involved with 3G Saturday, uh, well, we're going to let some of the people who served last year help convince you. Go ahead and watch this. <laughs> 